For our scripture reading, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 24. I'll be reading verses 50 to 53, and then we're going to turn to Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. We'll begin reading at Luke chapter 24, verse 50. That can be found on page 1052 in the Pew Bible. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus appears to his disciples and he opens their eyes to understand the scriptures and that indeed Jesus came to suffer and die and on the third day be raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And then as he was saying these things, he then led them out as far as Bethany, verse 50. We read those words, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, blessing God. And now turn with me to Acts chapter 1, which will be my sermon text for this evening, beginning at verse 1. Luke continues his second book, so the ascension we see here is that hinge that that brings both of the books together, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he concludes the gospel with the ascension, and now he's going to begin his second book with the ascension of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. At this time, I invite you to turn in the Forms and Prayers book to page 218.
there are four questions to Lord's Day 18, and right now we're just going to recite together the first three, and then I'm going to save the last question to the end of the sermon. So question and answer 46, I'll ask the question, congregation respond with the answer. What do you mean by saying he ascended into heaven? That Christ, while his disciples washed, was taken up from the earth into heaven and remains there on our behalf until he comes again to judge the living and the dead. But isn't Christ with us until the end of the world as he promised us? Christ is true man and true God. In his human nature, Christ is not now on earth, but in his divinity, majesty, grace, and spirit, he is never absent from us. If his humanity is not present wherever his divinity is, then aren't there two natures of Christ separated from each other? Certainly not, since divinity is not limited and is present everywhere. It is evident that Christ's divinity is surely beyond the bounds of the humanity that he has been taken on. But at the same time, his divinity is in and remains personally united to his humanity. I encourage you to keep that open as we look to the next question on the next page near the end of the sermon. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, children, where did Jesus go? Where did he go? You see yourself there watching your Lord and Savior be lifted up from your very eyes into the heavenly places. It's astounding to really think about. It's one of those, put those in your theological pipe and smoke it things. Jesus ascended into heaven. What does that mean? What does that mean? The ascension of Jesus refers to that point in history, in time, when Jesus was lifted up into heaven 40 days after he was raised from the dead. As we read in Acts, he showed himself alive 40 days by many convincing proofs. Now Luke, tradition tells us, was a doctor. For him, it was about the evidence. It was about proof, objective evidence. And he tells Theophilus, by many convincing proofs, he showed himself alive for 40 days. We thought of his, his earthly ministry was magnificent. And how incredible it would be to be a disciple sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from the Master, having that seminary training at Jesus' feet. And now after the resurrection for 40 days, what are they doing? They're sitting at the feet of the resurrected Christ. Learning about the kingdom of God. And then at verse 9, we read these words. After Jesus tells them to remain in Jerusalem for the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. 
the promised spirit, the one that I told you about in my earthly ministry. I told you that it was better if I go, because if I go, that means the Father and the Son will send the spirits, and greater works you will do. And so he tells them to stay, remain. You will receive power. And then in verse 9, and when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Jesus, where did Jesus go? Where did he go? The disciples first witnessed his ascension into heaven. The disciples witness Jesus' glorious ascension. In Luke's gospel, Jesus was carried up into heaven. But first he bestows a benediction, a blessing. A benediction is a good word. A saying, a good saying of departure to someone. At the end of the service, I give a benediction On behalf of Christ, I give a benediction to the people so that you go your homeward way with the blessing of God. I say a good word from Christ to you. And Jesus, before he leaves earth, ascending into heaven, he's giving a good word to his disciples. He blesses them. In Acts, in Acts, They witness his ascension, and what do they see? They see him being lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. They witness Christ and his glory. It's important, friends, that that the disciples witness the ascension of our Lord. If they are going to be disciples of Jesus, if they're going to be his apostles, his sent ones to the nations, if they are going to declare the the great works of God in Jesus Christ to the nations from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the other parts of the world, then they have to be witnesses of the complete work of Christ. They have to be witnesses of his ministry and works. And they see that Jesus was lifted up or taken up or carried up. Here, too, it's passive. You remember a couple weeks ago, the sermon titled, The Son of Man Must Be Lifted Up, that Jesus was lifted up. That, too, was passive. The Father sent the Son to pay for the sins of his people. The Father, the Father sent the Son And the Father raised the Son. He was raised by the Spirit. Here too, He is lifted up, passive. God takes Him up to His rightful place in the heavenly places because He is worthy. He is worthy. Worthy to receive all honor, praise, and adoration as we often hear the angels sing in Revelation. He is worthy to receive the great name that is above every name. God looked at his atoning work and his glorious conquering over sin, his perfect righteousness, and he was vindicated by the Spirit, and he was taken up into the heavenly places where he is rightfully seated at the right hand of the Father. 
And it was important for the disciples to see the Son of Man lifted up into heaven. If you turn in your Bibles to verse chapter 1, same chapter in Acts, verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. He's referring to, to Judas and his betrayal, and that he is no longer part of the twelve, and now they're going to take another one on to be part of this apostolic ministry. Peter is talking to the disciples, those present, and in verse 21, So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was what? Taken up from us. And so the twelfth man had to be a witness of his ascension so that these twelve disciples, apostles, give testimony of the crucified risen, and ascended Christ. And as they were looking uh, up at Christ being lifted up, a cloud took him out of their sight. What's the significance of the cloud enveloping the Lord as he departs into heaven? Again, the disciples are seeing the glory of God enveloping the Lord Jesus Christ who is the temple of God, who is the glory of God, who is the word of God in flesh. You see, in the Old Testament scriptures, the cloud signifies the glory of God and his presence. The glory of God and God's presence. Exodus chapter 16, verse 10, for example, says, Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And on numerous occasions in the book of Exodus, we have the glory of God symbolized in the cloud. Most notably in 1 Kings chapter 8, when the temple was built, what descended upon the temple and made the people fear the glory of God in a cloud. Who led the people in the wilderness by day and by night? The Lord and His glory by cloud by day and fire by night. The cloud represents, signifies the glory of Almighty God and His presence. And here in this moment as the Lord is being lifted up He is enveloped with the glory and presence of God because he is the temple of God, the true temple of God, and he is the true word of God. First Timothy chapter three, verse 16, Paul says, this is a faithful saying. Listen carefully. He, that is Jesus, was manifested in the flesh He wasn't an apparition. He wasn't a phantom. No, Jesus truly came in the flesh. 
God came in the flesh. Vindicated by the Spirit. That is justified by the Spirit. Seen by angels. Proclaimed among the nations. Believed on in the world. Taken up in what? Glory. Taken up in glory. Jesus, the true God and true man, is the exact representation of God. Jesus, the true God and true man, is the true representation of the glory of God in human flesh and blood. And the, uh, the disciples, they witness the Lord being lifted up. It was imperative that they witnessed this, to give testimony of this great work of Christ as mediator. And we are recipients, beneficiaries of this great good news because they witnessed it, they gave testimony, and it has been, become inscripturated for us to read this testimony and by God's grace and spirit, believe it. We were not there, but we believe it. Why? Because it is true, regardless of whether or not we believe it or not, it is true because it's God's word, and also because the spirit of God has revealed it to you and me, Christian. We believe this testimony. Disciples witness his ascension. Secondly, the angels interpret his, his ascension. The angels interpret his ascension. We read at verse 10, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The ascension is a reality. When Jesus appeared to his disciples after the resurrection, he wasn't a ghost or a phantom or anything like that. He appeared to them in flesh and blood with a resurrected body. He ate fish on the seashore with his disciples. The resurrection was a reality. This too, the ascension, is a reality. And the angels, the two men, make that known to these disciples. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking to heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You are not seeing anything weird, disciples. What you're seeing is true. You're not on some psychedelic drug. You're not out of your minds. You're not going schizophrenic or anything. What you're seeing is true and real. Oh, to hear how liberal theologians try to go fast and loose on a text like this to come up with excuses or reasons why this is written, why it's not a reality why it's a myth. Oh, this really means, they argue, that 
that Jesus ascends in our hearts. When he was raised from the dead, it's when he was crucified, he just really taught us how to love one another. And when he was raised from the dead, it's just a, a metaphor or a figure of speech to talk about raising to new life. And when he ascends into heaven, it's just Christ ascending in our hearts with his love. Minimizing, doing away with the reality of these things, these works. Children, this is a reality. He was crucified and literally rose from the dead, really rose from the dead. He really ascended into heaven. I remember hearing an elder talk about how this lady was making profession of faith and they were talking about Jesus and his works and it came, it came to the work of his ascension, his resurrection and ascension. And the lady said, oh, he really rose from the dead? And it was a public profession of faith. Yes, he really rose from the dead. Some of you may be thinking, oh, pastor, we've heard this over and over again. I've heard it over and over again. You're preaching to the choir. I'm sorry, I have to. I'll take that back. I'm not sorry. I must. Because I don't know if there's somebody in the pew somebody listening online who has grown up in the church perhaps and has heard this good news of Christ crucified and risen and ascended into heaven all of their lives. And they say, oh, he really ascended? He really rose from the dead? As I was told in the ministry, be surprised by nothing. Perhaps there's someone here questioning the reality. I don't know. God knows. The ascension was a reality, not a work of fiction or a dream. They were not hallucinating. And the two men or angels in the white clothes appeared and said to the disciples, Men of Galilee, they remind the disciples who they are and where they came from. Fishermen, tax collectors, blue-collar workers. And to the world, they were uneducated. They were looked down upon by the elite. And they had the blessing of seeing the Lord ascend. And what are they doing? They're gazing. They're amazed. They're looking up into heaven, gazing. This word is a very strong word. They're amazed at what is before their very eyes or was before their very eyes. And these angels interpret what's going on, the reality of the ascension. But they also continue on in their interpretation of his ascension by sharing with the disciples the comfort of his ascension. 
If you notice there in verse 11, and they said, and, and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The angels teach a brief but powerful and comforting lesson in the area of eschatology or the doctrine of the last things, the last day. The the ascension of the Lord is not some dry, crusty, information overload teaching in the church. The ascension of the Lord is, is so comforting to the Christian To know that the Lord who ascended is coming back brings immense comfort to them. It isn't for theologians in the ivory tower. This is a teaching for every Christian who loves the Lord and longs for his coming. And he will come again, not to deal with sin, but to judge every human being, both the living and the dead, as we confess. Men of Galilee, stop gazing and get to work. Stop gazing into heaven and get to work. He's coming again. He's coming again. Get to work. There's work to be done before his coming. You see, these disciples are called and commissioned to be his witnesses, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ Christ crucified and risen and ascended into heaven. But the question... I asked and myself, and maybe you ask yourself too, is at the time of the ascension, what did the disciples know themselves concerning his ascension? Did they actually know what was going on and what was, he was actually fulfilling at the time of his ascension? It's like the question I asked this morning or talked about this morning concerning Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that it wasn't until Jesus was glorified that the disciples understood what Jesus was doing meant to them. Here too, it's not until Pentecost, when the Spirit of God descends upon the people of God, when the promise is fulfilled of verse 8, when you will receive power of the Holy Spirit and it comes upon you, that power comes upon them at Pentecost, or in the Hebrew Shavuot, the Feast of Pentecost, and the presence of Christ and His Spirit will fill them, illuminate them, and empower them to proclaim the kingdom. It will illuminate them to the truths of the Old Testament Scriptures. And then they understand that the Old Testament Scriptures concerning His glorious ascension and session to the right hand of the Father is fulfilled in Christ. Well, Pastor, where do you get that from? Look with me at Peter's sermon, chapter 2, verse 29 to 36. Remember, this is, at, this is at Pentecost, and the Spirit is poured out upon the disciples. Brothers, here's Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. 
being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. I want to stop right there. Was Peter fully illuminated of these things during Jesus' earthly ministry? No. It wasn't until Jesus was glorified that he came to understand these truths of Jesus Christ and that he fulfilled the Old Testament scriptures. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Peter is empowered and illuminated by the Holy Spirit in such a way that he recalls and knows what the Old Testament scriptures point to and who they point to. I can go on, chapter 3, verses 17 to 20. Peter in Solomon's portico. Peter says, and now, brothers, at verse 17, now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. It's like what Paul says to the Corinthians. Spiritual-minded people know and understand spiritual truths. The unregenerate, Unbelievers cannot understand spiritual truth, but when we look at Scripture as Christians and we have the lenses of the Holy Spirit guiding us in the reading of the Word, we see the connection between the old and the new. We see the fulfillment of the Old Testament Scriptures in the one person and work of our mediator, Jesus. The angels interpret the ascension of Christ. Lastly, how does the Lord's ascension benefit you? I think of a lot of question and answers in the Heidelberg Catechism that are just, it's all good, but they're just ones that just knock it out of the park. Lord's Day 1 certainly knocks it out of the park. Lord's Day 18, the last question and answer. Question and answer 49. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? I think knocks it out of the park. And you want to talk about comfort? You want to talk about comfort? The scripture's teaching on the ascension is comfort. 
when we come to know more deeply and by faith what it means that he had to ascend and what it means for us as Christians to live our lives here on earth to the glory of his name, knowing that we have our flesh in heaven, is such a profound biblical truth. I want to read the question and congregation respond with the answer. How does Christ's ascension to heaven benefit us? First, he is our advocate in heaven, in the presence of his Father. Second, we have our own flesh in heaven as a sure pledge that Christ our head will also take us, his members, up to himself. Third, he sends his Spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. By the Spirit's power, we seek not earthly things, but the things above where Christ is, sitting at God's right hand. He is our advocate. He's the one who's at the Father's right hand defending you, Christian. Defending you. He is your advocate. When you sin, you claim His blood and righteousness. And He sits at the Father's right hand pleading for you. He is mine. I died for Him. Forgiven. No more guilt. No more shame. No more bondage. No more slavery. This child belongs to me. You have an advocate at the Father's right hand. You have your own flesh in heaven. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 6 say that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Do you know that? Not only were we, we crucified with Christ, not only have our sins been buried with Christ, not only have we been raised with Christ, but we are also seated with Christ at the present. And where he is, there we, we shall be also. And that is our longing, that is our hope. That is our joy and comfort. And he sends a spirit to us on earth as a corresponding pledge. That down payment. He dwells in you, Christian. Giving you assurance and comfort. The assurance of that promise that you are his. And you are seated with him in the heavenly places. Where did Jesus go? He is in the heavenly places at the right hand of the Father. And he continues his work as mediator between God and man. Even now, he is mediating for you, Christian. Even now, he is mediating for you. When you pray in your homes, with your families, in your churches, he is mediating for you. God the Father hears your prayers because next to him is his son who pleads your case. That's why we come boldly before the throne of grace. Boldly. Not timidly or ashamedly. But boldly. Because we have one who is in our likeness and flesh who sits at the Father's right hand. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's a reality and that it is indeed your comfort that he is there 
and he will take you there. Wait on the Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we're amazed at our Savior and Mediator's perfect work of salvation. We stand in awe, O Lord, of the majesty of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Truly, O Lord, your work is awesome and great. And it is only by the power of the Spirit, the power that was poured out on the day of Pentecost, and the power of the Spirit that's being poured out in the lives of your people, that we confess your name and believe in your word and trust in your promises. O Father in heaven, we confess that if you, have not, you hadn't drawn near to us and reached down and plucked us from the miry pit, we would be utterly lost. For apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And so we cling to Jesus. We cling to our mediator and lift our hearts heavenward where he is seated. And we confess, Lord, that he indeed was lifted up. For if there is no ascension, the work of Christ is incomplete. If there is no ascension, indeed, he would not be a complete mediator. He would not be a complete and faithful high priest. And in fact, he would indeed be a fraud and liar. But he is risen. He is ascended. And we embrace this truth by faith. And we long for the day when we will see him face to face. Oh, Father, help us, we pray, to ponder and reflect upon the glorious ascension of our Lord. To ponder and reflect upon his session at the Father's right hand. Help us to ponder and reflect upon his work in our individual lives and in the corporate life of the body of Christ as he builds his church by the power of his word and spirit, and as he does so from the heavenly places. Grant us your grace, O Lord, we pray, to affirm and confirm this teaching, to uphold it, to hold fast to it, and to comfort one another with the words of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name.